James chapter 1. If you've been here the last month or so, you know that Tim's been in James uh, chapter 1 doing his series, and he's about ready to start into James chapter 2. I didn't want to step on his ground, so I'm going to let him dive into chapter 2, and we're going to recap just a little bit of what Tim's been talking about the last few weeks. So we're going to we're going to be in the first 12 verses. I know Tim's already talked about this, but uh, we're going to go back and we're going to review uh, the first 12 verses of James chapter 1 this morning. Uh, James chapter 1, if you have your Bibles and would like to read along, we'll just read through the first 12 verses together. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and and withers the plant. Its, Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because he has stood the test. He will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. I don't know how many of you here this morning enjoy Max Licato books. Uh, when my girls were younger, we'd read Max Licato books to them all the time. And... and um, he has a lot of adult books and Bible studies out there as well, but he's just a very good author. And, and one of the books that he has written is called The Eye of the Storm. I don't know if anybody's read that book. It was published in 1991. And he goes on to tell a story about a parakeet named Chippy. That's how he begins his book. So I'm going to read that story here this morning. It says, Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage, and the next he was sucked in washed up and blown over. The problem began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. So she put one end of the hose into Chippy's cage to clean the bottom, but then her phone rang. So she turned to answer the phone and barely said hello when she heard the sound and she knew exactly what had happened. Chippy was sucked into the vacuum. The bird owner gasped. And she put down her phone and she turned off the vacuum and, and quickly opened the bag and there was little Chippy. Still alive, but very much stunned. And since the bird was covered with dust and dirt, she raced him to the bathroom and she turned on the water and she held little Chippy under the running water. Then realizing that Chippy was soaked and wet and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer. And she began to blast little Chippy with the hot air, and poor little Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who had initially written about the traumatic event called Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, 
the bird owner replied, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just kind of sits and, and stares. Lakato goes on to say, it's not hard to see why. Sucked in, washed up, and, and blown over, that's enough to steal the song from the stoutest heart. Sucked in, washed up, and blown over. I think that's probably the way that many of us here today are feeling or, or have felt over the last week, few weeks, months, even, even years. We've been knocked down. We've had the wind taken out of our cells. We know what it feels like. M. Scott Peck, he, he's the author of the book, The Road Less Traveled, and, and he begins his, his book with a three-word sentence. Three very simple words, but very profound words. And he begins his book with the sentence, he says, life is difficult. Life is difficult. And I'd have to agree with that sentence, that life is difficult. We've all experienced that life is difficult. Nobody ever said that life was going to be easy. I know there's been many times that my daughter's silence and Emma have come up to me and said, Dad, struggling. Life is hard. And I remember back to my, my teenage years going through um, things. I'd go to my parents and say, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble in life right now. It's just difficult. It, it's, it's hard. And my parents responded to me the same way I respond to my kids. If you think life is hard, buckle up because you've not seen anything yet. And as parents, you know that. You know that life does not get any easier as we go along. But difficult times will come in our way. And as we begin our investigation into the book of James, we notice that the first topic that James tackles is the topic of trials and temptations. And James knows that the recipients of his letter, they're facing many trials from without and and temptations from within, and many of these people are being forced out of their homes under the threat of persecution. They're being forced to live in places that are new to them among strangers, people that they, they aren't familiar with, that they don't know, and they're having to adjust their lives to a totally different way of living. I'd have to think that their situation is probably not all that different than those who have been displaced from the recent hurricanes that their homes have been destroyed, their livelihoods have been lost, and they've been forced out of the situation that they don't know into situations that are unknown to them. I have a, I have a good friend I work with. His name's Jesse, and Jesse's wife is named Crystal. She's originally a Payton here from, from Troy. Uh, Jesse and Crystal are great people. Um, and a few months back or so, when we had the flood that came up and and was threatening homes, Jesse had to evacuate his home because where he lives, the water comes up and it, it, it gets very close to the home, but the water kept rising and they were forced out of their home because the water came into their house. And they were out for, for a long time, forced to live in an environment that wasn't natural to them. They were being forced to live in a place that, that they had no idea what their surroundings were. Well, as the waters receded, 
Jesse was able to come back into the home and assess the damage, and, and it, it, it was disastrous. They had to replace everything. They had to rebuild everything inside of their home. Everything was gone. Everything was lost. So they rebuilt, and then here recently the waters began to come back up, and once again they were forced back out of their home into a situation that they weren't prepared for. Now, I know their situation is probably not exactly the same as, as what these people went through, but nevertheless, they're suffering. They know what it feels like to suffer and to face trials. And the message that James wants to give them is the same message that's communicated throughout the Bible about suffering. And the biblical record shows that the people of God over and over again turned defeats into victory. And they turned their trials into triumphs. And no matter what the trials on the outside or the temptations on the inside, through faith in God, we can experience victory that comes through Him And the result of this victory is a spiritual maturity that grows within each and every one of us. There's a lot of different ways that we can approach this first chapter of James, but when uh, initially Tim was going to be gone for two weeks, so I was going to preach today and then next Sunday as well. Uh, So I divided it into two sections. So this this week we're going to talk about the the, uh, trials that we face as Christians. If I have the pleasure of preaching next Sunday, we'll talk about the temptations that we go through as well. But this morning, we're going to dig into the trials that we face. And as we do that this morning, I want to talk about five spiritual truths that are discussed throughout the first 12 verses of chapter, uh, of James, of chapter one. Truth number one, if you're taking notes this morning, you can jot this one down, is that our toughest times can be marked by joy. Our toughest times can be marked by joy. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, if there's one thing that we all know, it's, it's that our lives are marked by trials of many kinds. And when we examine these trials in our lives, when we look deep into what's going on, we see that they fall into different categories. One kind of trial is that which we bring upon ourselves. We bring it upon ourselves because of our own willful, willful, willful disobedience and our own foolishness. But either way, the suffering that comes because of this kind of trial is only the fault of our own. We bring it upon ourselves. I was trying to think back over my life of a time where I was foolish in disobedience. I didn't have a hard time finding a story because there's so many. But there was one time I remember when I was a teenager, I worked at Sonic. I was a, a burger flipper and I cooked the tots and the rings and I, you know, I was that guy and, and there was this girl. She was a car hop. And, uh, this girl's name was Sarah and, and Sarah and I had kind of a, we weren't a thing, but we knew that we mutually had a crush on each other. It was just kind of there. We knew it. And uh, I remember that day specifically, we were kind of flirting back and forth, having fun at work. You know, it was kind of slow. And, and I let Sarah get a permanent marker and draw a curly bar mustache on me for whatever reason. I thought that was a good idea. I don't know. But we were going through our day just having fun. And 
like the saying says, all good things must come to an end, right? So the shift ended for the day, and, and uh, Sarah left to go on her way to go home. And, and I wasn't ready yet to let Sarah go. So the heroic man I was, I jumped in my, my yellow Dodge Shadow, and I followed Sarah down Main Street of Ottawa, Kansas, where I worked. And I, I caught up to Sarah after a while, and I got right behind her. She knew I was there in, in her rearview mirror, and, and I thought I would be cool. I wanted her to notice me, so I thought I would veer off of the Main Street onto a side road. So I pulled, I pulled right onto a side road. I hit a stop sign, and I wasn't going to stop. I kept going. I blew through that, took a left, come to the next stop sign, and I blew through that, another left, come to the stoplight back to Main Street, and I blew through that and got back on Main. And a few miles down the road... I began my chase to catch up to Sarah. What I didn't realize was that at the first stop sign, there was a police officer that was sitting back there that saw me run that first stop sign. About two miles down the road, five cop cars cornered me into an alley. And I was involved in a high-speed pursuit that I had no idea that I was in. Well, the officer comes up to my window and, and, and says, what are you doing? What's going on? And he probably saw the mustache that was drawn on me, which probably helped my case. But I explained to the police officer what was going on. He said, I was just being foolish. I'm, I'm sorry, I was chasing this girl, you know, this and that. And, and he went back and conversed with the other officers and came back to my window and said, son, we're going to let you go. Wow. I thought I was going to prison. I thought I was a goner. And he said, we're going to let you go. So I wiped the sweat from my brow and thankfully went home driving five under the speed limit. And uh, I knew I was off the hook. I knew I wasn't going to get caught. So I walk in my house and my dad's sitting there and asked me how, how work was. And I said, well, dad, work, work was good. It was a normal night at work, you know, flip some burgers and And uh, it was a good night. And my dad said, so I heard you were in a high-speed chase tonight. (laughs) And I said, how'd you hear that, Dad? And he begins to explain how one of my friend's parents, and I don't know if any of you parents out there do this, but they sit by the scanner. You sit by the scanner and you listen to everybody else's drama going on. And, And they called my parents and said, hey, we heard Johnny's name come across the scanner Tonight that he was involved in a high-speed pursuit in Ottawa. So I had to explain to my dad. And knowing my dad, he has a good sense of humor. So I explained to him the situation, knowing that he would laugh it off. Well, that's not exactly what happened. But I did receive that night the biggest grounding of my life. The point of my story is this. I couldn't blame my suffering on anybody else but myself. It was my own foolishness that got me into this situation. And I think if we're all honest here this morning, we can think over our lives of times where we've gotten ourselves into trouble because of our own foolishness and our own disobedience against God. There's another kind of trial that we face and it comes upon us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And those of us here this morning, those of us in this world who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ, we're not going to be understood by those who are living according to this world. And because of that, we'll face persecution. And Jesus calls us as Christians. He says, take up your cross and follow me. 
And I know that's not the easy way. In fact, it's, it's the narrow way. It's the tougher road, and because of that, it's going to lead to some persecution. It's going to lead to some trials along the way. There's a third kind of trial that we face that has a, a sense of mystery to it. We're, we don't fully understand it. It doesn't come because of our own foolishness and our own disobedience against God. It doesn't come because of our faithful endeavor to serve Jesus Christ. It's the kind of trial that's common to all people. The Bible declares in Job chapter 5, it says, man is born to sorrow and the sparks fly upward. You see, this is what, this is what Job experienced when he tried to honor the Lord. Things in Job's life became very difficult. He faced many trials in his life and and when we read the story of Job, we later understand that God allowed difficulty to come into Job's life that he could be tested in his faith to God. And as Christians, we must confess that sometimes we're plagued by difficulties in our lives that go beyond all explanation. We don't have an answer for it. We don't know why bad things happen to us. James is alerting us to the fact that each kind of trial, it tests our faith. Because of that, it develops perseverance within us. The tough times that we we go through in our lives, they can build into us this this quality of, of perseverance or endurance, as other translations go on to put it. And James begins by declaring that because of this, that you and, and I, even in the most difficult times, are privileged to have our, lo- our lives marked by joy. But we must be very careful to understand what James, the author, is saying here. He's not suggesting that we have some kind of demented, masochistic happiness in the, the hurts of losses of life. He's not saying that we're to enjoy being sick or, or losing a loved one, losing our job, or even getting persecuted. This isn't some kind of weird kind of denial that life often hurts. Because a lot of us here today, we're suffering. And it hurts. James is not suggesting that we manufacture some other kind of, of worldly, phony sense of joy. But instead, James is is telling us to celebrate. Because we have a loving and a powerful God who will bring us through our problems and He'll turn them into stepping stones to maturity. We can find joy in knowing that our trials don't have to get the best of us, but rather they, they can become our greatest blessing. So truth number one, and this is going to start speeding up, so buckle up. Truth number one is that our toughest times can be marked by joy. Paul wrote from a Roman jail in Philippians 4, chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Truth number two, if you're writing, writing notes, you can write this down. Perseverance produces maturity. Perseverance produces maturity. James continued in verse 4. He said, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature 
and complete, not lacking anything. Perseverance, it has this ongoing function. It's to bring you and me to maturity, to a completeness. I don't know this morning the trials that you're facing. And you don't know the trials that I'm facing. But what I do know is that God can work in each and every one of them and, and can bring us through, and through perseverance can produce a mature character within us if we allow Him to. And that's exactly what happened to Joseph. You remember Joseph, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He, he, he was then double-crossed by Potiphar's wife and, and falsely accused of making sexual advances. Imagine how Joseph must have felt as he sat in prison for many months. I'm sure he probably felt somewhat deserted by God. But his perseverance and his faithfulness to God, it produced a maturity within him. A, a complete man who was no longer the spoiled child with a coat of many colors. And therefore, he was prepared to handle the leadership position that was next in power to Pharaoh. It put him in a position to save the lives of the people of God. And his perseverance through his trials, it produced maturity. And that's what perseverance did for Moses as well. Moses spent 40 years as a young boy being brought up in Pharaoh's court. Then he had those 40 years in the Sinai wilderness attending to the sheep of Jethro, his father-in-law. And, and then this crazy mix of good times and bad marked by a steady trust for God showed how perseverance produced the character needed to face down Pharaoh and led the Jewish people out of bondage in Egypt. But yet Pharaoh, as an 80-year-old man, he still had the toughest 40 years ahead of him when he had to lead God's people through the desert. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to good people. And you and I are privileged to walk closely with the Lord. And God allows our faith to be tested so that, that out of the long-haul testing comes perseverance which produces maturity. And every person that has gone through trials, will they'll tell you that they don't want to go through that thing again, but they'll also tell you that they wouldn't change it for the world because of what it has produced in them. It's made them a stronger person. I like to think over my own life and, and see the things that I've gone through and, and how it has formed me into who I am today. Trials, they can bring out the best in us. And trials can show us what we're made of and they can make us better than, than we were before. Truth number three is that God promises wisdom. God promises wisdom. And if there's anything that you and I have a need for, it's wisdom. James writes in chapter in, in verse five. Says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. 
And the fact of the matter is, if we are going to be joyful, and if we're going to persevere through the trials, then we are going to need wisdom. There's so much I could say about this point, but let me just briefly say the following. First is, is we want wisdom, but then we have to begin by admitting that we don't have it. As you know, that can, that can be a hard thing to do. Especially for some of us guys here in the room. We have to get ourselves out of the way. Our own pride. Second, we have to recognize that we can't produce maturity and wisdom in ourselves. Certainly, we have to do our part by by reading Scripture daily and and going to God and and praying. Solomon says in Proverbs, he says these words are for attaining wisdom and discipline. For understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. Third, we have to ask God for wisdom. And fourth, we have to claim the promise that God will give it to us as He has promised. We have to trust Him that when we ask, He will give it. So we need wisdom to navigate through through the trials of this life. And God has that wisdom that we need if we faithfully ask Him for it. The Scripture tells us that He will give it if we ask faithfully. The second to the last truth that we want to look at this morning is that faith is critical for perseverance and wisdom. Faith is critical for perseverance and wisdom. Verses 6-8 through of James chapter 1, it says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. James isn't saying here that there's no room for doubts. In fact, if we look back to Mark chapter 9, we see that Jesus Himself commended a man who came to Him and said, I do believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. So James is emphasizing the importance of authentic belief as a person's basic lifestyle as contrasted with the lifestyle of constant doubting. James says that a doubting person is like, like the wave of the sea that's blown this way and that way by the wind. And at some point in our lives, we're going to have to make a faith decision. Are we really going to trust God? Or are we not going to trust God? And that's what Elijah called the people to do on Mount Carmel and he asked them, First Kings 18.21, he says, How long will you waver between two opinions? He said, If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. And earlier, Joshua confronted them in a the similar way, and he said in Joshua 24.15, he said, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. For me and my household, we will serve the Lord. 
if you don't make, if we don't make that decision of faith in our lives, then we're going to be like that boat out in the middle of the ocean. That when the winds come up and they blow and the waves begin to crash, we're going to be tossed around. It's possible to have questions and doubts within the larger context of deep trust in the Lord. The life of faith doesn't mean that that we're going to have everything figured out. It doesn't mean that we're going to have all the answers. But what it does mean is that we are putting our confidence in the One who we believe has all the answers. It means that in the midst of our trials and, and doubts, we take a stand on God's promises and we trust Him through it all. And that kind of faith, it brings a stabilization into our lives in the midst of honest acknowledgement that there are many things that we don't know and that we don't understand. Our fifth and final truth this morning is that there's a promised blessing that goes with perseverance. There's a promised blessing that goes with perseverance. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the victor's crown. The life God promised to those who love Him. I want you to notice how much this verse looks like the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5. When we have stood the test, there will be a reward. That word stood the test, if you were to look back into the Greek translation, it translates dokimos. And that word appeared on pottery as, as it's been tested and, and put into the kiln and it passed the test. If a pot were to go into that kiln and it would to be, it would be damaged, it would, it would crack, then it would be inscribed with a dokimos, which means disapproved. And I think we all want to have the stamp of approval by God that when, when it's, that He stamps us with Dokimos, approved, not disapproved. The greatest incentive that we can have to overcome our trials is the awareness of the reward that God has promised to those who are faithful to Him, those who endure and conquer. And one reward is the maturity and completeness that that only comes through the trials that we face. And the other reward is the crown of life. The victor's crown. The crown of life is the eternal life that God has promised to each and every one of us who accept Him as our Lord and Savior. John 3.16, we all know the Scripture very well. It says, not perish, but have eternal life. And it begins with an abundant life that, that's described in John 10.10 10, that is in the present and continues, and continues in life with God amidst the splendors of heaven when this world has passed away. And in reflection of the problems of life in relation to a promised home in heaven for overcoming them, we can join Paul when Paul says in Romans 8.18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Colton, if you and the worship team can come up. James, he began the section with with joy. And he ends this section 
with joy. Remember back to the beginning of my sermon, old Chippy, Chippy the parakeet. He was sucked in and and washed up and, and blown over. He lost his song. And he just sat there and, and he stared. And God will help us. He'll help us to turn our trials into triumphs. And our, our, our faith allows us to keep singing for great will be our reward in heaven. In conclusion this morning, I want to remind you of the five truths that we've, we've learned today. Number one is that our toughest times can be marked by joy. Number two is that perseverance produces maturity. Three is that God promises wisdom. Four is faith is critical for perseverance and wisdom. And number five, there is a promised blessing that goes with perseverance. Let me point out just one final thing this morning before we close. The crown of life is promised to all those who love Him. James could have easily said here to those who believe in Him. He could have said to those who obey Him that God inspired James to choose love. Ultimately, God loves us. And we love Him. And He allows us to suffer for our own good. Because He Himself, He suffered for our own good. And His love for us is proved on Calvary. So when in doubt, turn to Calvary. Because burdens are lifted at Calvary. And trials are turned into triumphs at Calvary. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we love You. Father, we we thank You for who You are. God, we thank You for for walking alongside of us every step of our way. Father, there's people here today, Lord, that are hurting. There's people here today that are suffering. Father, You know each and every one of those in depth. So Father, we come to You this morning and we trust You in those situations. Father, we pray this morning that we would apply Your Word to our hearts. That we would trust You, Lord, that that You have the answers. That You can carry us through it. If we trust You through that. We love You, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.